Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bigger Insights Privacy and Security Podcast, where we'll help you live a more private and secure life. In the previous episode, we explained why email is insecure by detailing just some of the many privacy and security issues inherent to email. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you check it out because we've learned over the years that people don't really care about privacy or security unless you can first make it clear what the issues are and how that can create a problem for you. In this episode, we're going to focus on how to improve email security. Of course, if we had it our way, email would either be redesigned with privacy and security in mind, or we would just stop using it, but that's obviously not realistic. Because so many people and organizations rely on email, it's worthwhile to learn how to use it more securely. It's a necessary evil is what I'm trying to say. Also, just imagine how much damage someone could do to you if they got a hold of your emails or even took over your email account. If someone is able to get into your email account, they can pretty much assume your identity online, which would allow them to scam your friends and family, take over your other accounts like your bank and mobile phone accounts, and so on. If there's one account that you definitely want to maximize security on, it's the email account that you use for your bank, social media, and other accounts that are important to you. And by the way, for those privacy enthusiasts among us, the next episode is going to focus on email privacy, so stay tuned for that. If you're not familiar with our work, one of the things we do is one-on-one privacy and security consulting. Literally, as I was planning this episode, a client sent me a copy of an email waiver that he received from a healthcare provider. I'm going to read a few passages from this to help make this more concrete, because sometimes when I talk to people about these issues, they seem to not take it very seriously until they see them in black and white from someone like their doctor, lawyer, or whomever. All right, the waiver says, quote, to comply with HIPAA regulations, email correspondence that contains protected health information must be sent encrypted. If you wish to have unencrypted emails sent to you for the sake of convenience, you must sign the following waiver. I, patient, request for my convenience, provider correspond with me by unencrypted email to relay information concerning redacted. I understand that emails sent to me contain protected health information. I further understand that unencrypted email and email attachments are not secure and may be viewed by others. I agree to hold harmless provider, its officers, agents, employees, and contract health providers from any and all liability, loss, damages, costs, or expenses which are sustained, incurred, or required arising from the transmission of unencrypted email correspondence and attachments, end quote. So when you see something like that, you should reflect on it a little. Why is this provider telling me that my emails may be viewed by others? Why the legalese requiring that I hold them harmless just to receive some emails? It's because despite the fact that we all want to believe that our emails are private and secure, they're not. They're just not. All right, so what exactly should you do about this? First of all, understand that there's really only so much you can do to use email securely. Don't take that to mean that there's nothing you can or should do, just that there will always be risks associated with using email. After all, no matter what you do, you can't stop your accountant, for example, 
from emailing you your tax returns or even the wrong person from their Yahoo account. So the first thing we recommend is that you reduce your dependence on email. Every email you send presents some level of risk, perhaps not to your security, but at least to your privacy. We generally try to communicate with our clients, friends, and family through instant messengers, signal, and session. But if we need to send large files, we can use Proton Drive, SyncThing, OnionShare, or something along those lines. For file attachments, we sometimes also use Proton Mail, but the nuance there is that we would make sure that that email is end-to-end encrypted. If the recipient is not using Proton Mail, we can send them a password-protected email portal that self-destructs, which basically allows them to access the email from within Proton, which bypasses the security risks posed by their sketchy email provider. And if you become a client, which you should if you know what's good for you, we can sit down with you and show you how to use these tools as well. The second thing we recommend is using a respected encrypted email provider like ProtonMail or Tutanota. There may be others out there, but we're most familiar and comfortable with these services. And by the way, we have no sponsorships or affiliate agreements with either of these companies, nor have they asked us to promote them as of the time of this recording. We're just mentioning them because we like their services and think that if you are concerned about the security of your emails, this is a great place to start. We'll probably go into this in more detail in a future episode, but basically the way these email services work is as follows. When you send or receive an email from within their system, say from one Proton account to another, they're end-to-end encrypted by default. When you send or receive an email from another provider, like Gmail, for example, those emails are encrypted at rest in your account using your keys. Now, that's important because what that does is prevent their employees from reading your emails, being forced to hand them over to the government, or being leaked in a data breach. However, just bear in mind that that only applies to your account. If you're emailing a Yahoo account, for example, Yahoo will have an unencrypted copy of that email. But this is still better than nothing. In this case, if you're using Gmail instead, Yahoo and Google would both have an unencrypted copy of that email. And the more people that we can get to switch to more privacy-respecting email providers, the better off we'll all be. Now, we're not going to go into detail on this, but if you insist on using an email provider that's less secure, you can also use PGP to encrypt the body of your email, but that's a separate discussion. The third recommendation is to make sure that you have good multi-factor authentication options enabled. What I mean by good is using the more secure options like security keys and TOTP. We generally recommend against using SMS because SMS and basically the entire phone system is also incredibly insecure. So if someone SIM swaps you, for example, and your email account can be recovered through SMS, now they can get into your email account and lock you out of it. If an email provider either doesn't offer security key or TOTP multi-factor authentication, or if they require something lame like SMS, we would recommend finding another provider. The fourth recommendation is that if you're going to use email on your mobile phone, you should use your email provider's native application, 
not the mail application that comes with your operating system. Why? Well, just think about what you're doing. When you use a third-party application for your email, you're increasing your attack surface by introducing another party into your communications. If you are going to use a third-party application, you should read through the privacy policy and do your best to understand what exactly it's doing. For example, is it storing your emails on their servers? Perhaps, perhaps not. But we say just skip that risk and go straight to your provider. Even if you use something more invasive like Gmail, it might still make sense to use the official Gmail app over the iOS Mail app, for example. With regard to iOS Mail specifically, it has had multiple vulnerabilities in the past where an attacker could remotely compromise a spy phone or a spy pad with zero-click exploits, which means that no user interaction was required. I mean, just imagine for a moment someone taking control over your spy phone while you're sleeping and not even noticing. That's pretty terrifying, but that's the risk you take. For me personally, I used to use a spy phone before I knew what was good for me, but once I started wising up, I actually uninstalled the mail app. Now, in fairness, the Proton or Two Tenota apps could also have a vulnerability, but high-profile attackers tend to focus on larger targets like Apple and Google because the payoffs are generally higher. I mean, compare the number of people with the iOS Mail app on their phone versus Proton Mail or Tutanota. Also keep in mind that Proton and Tutanota's apps are open source, so they may be less likely to have serious vulnerabilities than proprietary alternatives like iOS Mail. The fifth recommendation is about controlling your email address, emails, and other data like contacts. First, consider using your own domain name. I'm not talking about hosting your own email, just the domain. So you can go to a registrar and register your own domain name, and then go to Proton, Tutanota, Gmail, or whomever, and use that for your email addresses. You'll obviously have to pay to register your domain, which Porkbun will let you do for as low as $9.73 per year, I believe. And you'll probably have to have a paid plan with your email provider. For Bigger Insights, we have the domain biggerinsights.com, which we set up in ProtonMail. And you don't have to be a business to do that. Anyone can do this. The advantage of doing this is that you control the email address itself. So if, for whatever reason, your email provider shuts down your account or they shut down, what happens to your email address? Well, if your email address is using their domain, like gmail.com, for example, it's gone. You ain't getting that back. That can be a huge issue because you might try to log into something like your bank account and they might say, okay, great, click on this verification link that we just sent to your email address to continue. You see what I mean? How are you going to do that if you lost access to your email account? This doesn't happen very often, but it is a risk. I think we mentioned this in an earlier episode, but there was a guy in California that emailed some medical images of his son's groin to his doctor for a diagnosis. Google systems detected the groinness of these images, and they permanently shut down this guy's account. Ouch. Now, if he was using his own domain, he would still lose access to whatever data was in Google's servers, but he would at least be able to recreate that email address with another provider. So if we have a falling out with Proton, for example, 
we could just move our Bigger Insights email addresses over to another provider at any time. If you are going to use your own domain, make sure you use Whois privacy protection so that your information isn't publicly visible. So when you register a domain, someone's information has to be on the account and all this information is public. Most reputable domain registrars offer a Whois privacy service that replaces your information with proxy information, and you should take advantage of that unless you have some really specific reason for not using it. We might do a separate episode on this, but you should also set SPF, DKIM, and DMARC policies to cut down on spoofing and improve the chance that other email providers will trust your emails. And there are other details that are beyond the scope of this episode, but one should also consider setting the DMARC policy to reject emails that fail the other checks so that when someone does spoof your email, it gets rejected so the recipient never sees it. There's also DNSSEC to consider, but there are some nuances there as well. Now, regarding the data, which is the second part of this recommendation, we suggest doing two things regardless of whether you're going to use your own domain name. One, download and back up important emails as you receive them. You shouldn't be using your email account to store the only copy of your important emails because again, you may lose access to your account. And if you're good with managing and backing up your own data, you might also want to consider deleting those emails from your provider to reduce the risk of someone getting access to those in the future. Two, don't store original contact information with your email provider meaning that you should keep all of that data on your own systems in case you lose access to your account for whatever reason. So for me personally, I have my own local system for storing contact information, and then I'll put whatever subset of that I want in Proton. And finally, we obviously can't finish an episode about email security without talking about attachments. Now, keeping your systems up to date and avoiding sketchy websites and applications is actually more effective from a security standpoint than you might think. The reason I say this is because if you follow the security news, a huge share of the security incidents like ransomware and whatnot originate from infected email attachments. So obviously, if you can avoid these, you're going to improve your security dramatically. All right, so what should you do, you might be wondering? Well, for starters, like email in general, just rely less on email for sharing files. That won't help you directly, but the more people that do this, the better off we'll all be because this will make it easier to identify malicious emails. Along these lines, keep in mind that businesses, especially larger ones, rarely send out files as attachments. I honestly can't even think of the last time a business emailed me an attachment that I didn't explicitly request or was expecting. It's probably been years. Things like statements and other documents are usually stored in your account with them. So if you get one of those bogus UPS emails like, oh yeah, this is totally UPS and your package failed to deliver, open the attached.pdf.exe file to see why, You should know that this is BS because companies like UPS don't email things like that. But before you decide to download an attachment, ask yourself some questions to help assess the level of risk. Who is sending me this? Why are they sending me this? Was I expecting this? If this is what I think it is and I don't open it, what are the consequences? Is the email spoofed? 
We'll talk about that in more detail in a future episode. But if you're not sure, try to contact the sender through some other means, like on the phone, for example, just to make sure it's really them. And if you feel like you must download and open an attachment, first of all, we recommend that you use Linux in general. It's not foolproof by any means, but we would bet a lot of Skrilla that the vast majority of malicious email attachments are designed to infect Windows. But in general, you should open email attachments in a virtual machine that's disconnected from the internet. If you have antivirus, which is a whole separate discussion, you might as well scan it to see if your AV thinks it's infected. All right, actually, I lied about that being the final recommendation. We're going to do one more free of charge. The actual final recommendation is to be wary of links in emails. Now, I'm not sure why, but almost every business uses a separate domain for their email links than their main domain. This makes it very confusing for the user because how are they supposed to know whether it's legitimate? For example, we tested NordVPN in the past. We don't recommend that service, and we wrote a blog post about this, so go ahead and take a gander at that when you get the time. But one of our complaints was that we identified at least seven different domains that NordVPN was using just for their VPN service. NordVPN.com, NDAccount.com, NordAccount.com, Nord-4-Apps.com, Nord-Apps.com, NordCheckout.com, auth.zwyr157wwiu6eior.com. Now, let's say you're a NordVPN customer and you're familiar with NordVPN.com, but you receive an email from ndaccount.com claiming to be NordVPN. Well, what is that? Is that them? Is that some random dude from India? That could be anybody. So before you click on any email links, make sure you inspect and trust the domain that it points to. If you're not absolutely certain, try to find another way. You can either call the company to check or just log into your account and see if you can get to wherever that link was supposed to point you to. That's what I do. I can't think of the last time I clicked on a link in an email other than an occasional unsubscribe link. But if you get an email, for example, that looks like it's from your bank and gives you a link to view your latest bank statement or something like that, just go directly to their website, log in, and check your statement from there. To sit there and inspect the links and make sure that the email isn't spoofed and whatnot is generally just a waste of time. Just go directly to the source. All right, that's it for this episode. If you'd like more help with email security or related topics, consider becoming a Bigger Insights client. We help clients like you live more private and secure lives with one-on-one consulting sessions. If that sounds interesting to you, go to our website, biggerinsights.com, and fill out the short form at the bottom of the page to request an initial consultation. We are once again asking you to share and subscribe to this podcast so we can spread our message and help as many people as we can. All right, that's it. Thanks for staying until the end. Follow these recommendations to use email more securely and have a great rest of your day. 